<clears throat> Good to see so many of you out on a very cold night tonight. And I'd like to ask you to <clears throat> turn in your Bibles to Genesis 49. I want to talk about something that we didn't have time to get to this morning. Genesis 49 and verse 22, Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a whale whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him, but his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this service tonight. We thank you for each one who has come. It's really a miracle in this day when so many churches are dark, when there are so many other appeals to people. We thank you for each one who has come tonight. We pray that you would help us and speak to us as we look into your word with the realization that one day could be today. We are going to see you face to face. We pray that we would consider that tonight as we look into your word together. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, in our study of Israel's final words to his sons, we read about three of them. We read about Asher and Naphtali and Joseph, but we only had time to talk about Asher and Naphtali. So tonight, we want to talk about Joseph. Of the 12 prophecies that we have in this chapter, this one to Joseph is the longest. And that really shouldn't surprise us as we think about it from a, um, from a human perspective. Because in Genesis 37 and verse 3, we read that Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age. Jacob was 91 years old when Joseph was born. And so having Joseph at 91, that's why he's described as the son of his old age. And he held a special place in Jacob's heart for that reason. But there's another reason, I think, that Joseph held a special place in Jacob's heart. And that's because he was the first child to be born to he and Rachel. Rachel had a special place in Jacob's heart. When Isaac sent him to, when he sent Jacob to Laban, to take a wife. The first girl that he met was Rachel, Laban's younger daughter. And we read in Genesis 29 and verse 18 that Jacob loved Rachel. And you remember that he told Laban that he would serve seven years for Rachel, his younger daughter. And verse 20 of that chapter tells us Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seemed unto him but a few days for the love he had to her. We think about seven years being a long time. 
seven years to serve someone. And yet those days seemed like uh, just a few days. They flew by because of Jacob's anticipation of being joined to this young lady that he loved. And that love never diminished. It never diminished. So when this woman that he loved so well bore him a son, after so many years of waiting, we can see how that son would hold a special place in his father's heart. What we want to think about tonight is the special place that Joseph held in God's heart. And we see that in Israel's words here because they reflect God's assessment of Joseph. These words reveal the heart of Jacob's, or rather Joseph's father in heaven. They reflect his heart for him. And we want to think about why it would be that way. Why would Joseph hold that place in the heart of God? We can see why he held a special place in Jacob's heart. But it's far more important to think about why Joseph held a special place in the heart of God. And the answer begins with Israel's first words in verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. Joseph is a fruitful bough. Israel compares his son to a bough, to a branch that's full of fruit. And then he goes on to tell us why this bough, why Joseph is laden with fruit. It's because he is by a well. A well where that branch would have access to uh, an unlimited supply of water. And when we read those words, there's a portion of scripture that comes to mind. I'd like for you to keep your place here and turn over to Psalm 1, if you will. Psalm 1. And look at verse 1. Psalm 1 and verse 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his, in his law doth he meditate day and night. Verse 3, And he shall be like a tree, Planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season, his leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. These words bring to mind what we just read in Genesis 49 and verse 22. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, by a well. He had this special place in the heart of God. And he had that special place because he did not walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. He didn't sit in the seat of the scornful. Joseph's delight, as we're going to see, was in the law of the Lord. 
And in his law, he meditated day and night. And as a result, Joseph was like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He was a fruitful bough, even a bough by a well. Folks, the law of the Lord, the word of God, this book is the well that Joseph was planted by. This book is the rivers of water. And that's why his branches run over the wall. That's why he brought forth his fruit in his season. That's why his leaf did not wither, and it should have withered, as we're going to see. That's why whatsoever he did prospered, as we're going to see. That's why he held a special place in the heart of his Father in heaven. And we want to look again at the evidence of these things in Joseph's life, because it's very important. If you look back to Genesis 49, and look again at verse 22, because there's something important that we need to see. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. And what we want to see is that living this way, being a fruitful bough by a well for the glory of the Lord has consequences. Living that way makes you a target. Look at verse 23. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him, and hated him, walking in the counsel, uh, or walking not in the counsel of the ungodly, standing not in the way of sinners, sitting not in the seat of the scornful, delighting in the law of the Lord, meditating in it day and night, being a fruitful bough by a whale, being a tree planted by the rivers of water, Bringing forth fruit. We read about the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5 and verse 22. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, patience, meekness, goodness. Bringing forth fruit. Your leaf not withering. Whatsoever you do, prospering, that will make you a target of the archers. But that's exactly how the Lord Jesus said it would be. He said in John 16 and verse 33, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 12, Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Joseph's life... Joseph's stand, Joseph's words made him a target of the archers. But who are the archers? Well, look back at Genesis 37, if you will. Genesis 37, and look at verse 3. I mentioned this verse a few minutes ago. Genesis 37 and verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph more than all his children because he was the son of his old age and he made him a coat of many colors. And when his brethren saw their father loved him more than all his brethren, they hated him and could not speak peaceably unto him. 
And Joseph dreamed a dream, and he told it his brethren, and they hated him yet the more. Now look at verse 18. Jacob sends Joseph to see his brothers. They're out in the field uh, taking care of the flocks, and Jacob sends him to check on them. And in verse 18 we read, And when they saw him afar off, even before he came near unto them, they conspired against him to slay him. And they said one to another, Behold, this dreamer cometh. Come now, therefore, and let us slay him, and cast him into some pit. And we will say some evil beast hath devoured him, and we shall see what will become of his dreams. And Reuben heard it, and he delivered him out of their hands, and said, Let us not kill him. And Reuben said unto them, Shed no blood, but cast him into this pit that is in the wilderness, and lay no hand upon him, that he might rid him out of their hands to deliver him to his father. Now, look at verse 26. And Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brother and conceal his blood? Come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother and our flesh. And his brethren were content. The first archers that sorely grieved Joseph, the first archers to shoot at him and hate him were his own brothers. When we take a stand for the Lord, when we're living in these verses that we read in Psalm one, when they characterize our life, when our life for the Lord is that of a fruitful bough, the first archers who will be shooting at us and hating us will be members of our own family. The Lord Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 36 that a man's foes shall be they of his own house. Joseph found that to be true. He found it to be true with regard to his natural family. But I would say that it can also be true with our spiritual family. Living godly in Christ Jesus can bring out the archers of fellow believers because godly living can expose the lack of it in the lives of believers around us. Turn over a couple of pages to Genesis chapter 39. The archers, in bitterness and hatred for Joseph, have sold him into bondage in Egypt. And when we think about that, the trauma of that, Joseph's leave, his spiritual life, his testimony should have withered. But it didn't. Look at Genesis 39 and verse 1. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt. And Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had brought him down thither. And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man. Notice that Joseph's spiritual life, his, his delighting in the law of the Lord, his meditating in it day and night, was not dependent on his circumstances. Joseph knew how to abound in his coat of many colors in that place, that special place that he held in the house of his father. But he knew how to be abased as a servant in Potiphar's house. 
and the constant, the stability in the life of this young man. He's 17 years old. 17 years old. The constant and the stability in his life, whether he was abounding in the house of his father or whether he was abased in the house of Potiphar, was the law of the Lord, the word of God. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. And as a result, Joseph is like this tree planted by the rivers of water. He's steadfast and sure. He's stable and firm. No matter what the circumstances were, no matter how sorely the archers grieved him and shot at him and hated him, there was Joseph bringing forth his fruit in his season, his leaf not withering, and whatsoever he did prospered. Look at verse 3. And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. It's worth noting whose name we find in verse 3. The only name that we find in verse 3 is the name of the Lord. Because what Potiphar saw as Joseph brought forth his fruit in his season was not Joseph. What he saw, well, who he saw was the Lord. That's what you call a testimony, folks. The whole reason for delighting in the law of the Lord and meditating in the law of the Lord is not so people can see us. It's so that we may know the Lord. Paul wrote that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death. That's what meditating in the law of the Lord day and night, thinking upon it, That's what it does in the life, and the result is that the life also of the Lord Jesus might be manifest in our body. When people see us, they see the Lord. That's the life of Joseph. It's what it means to be a fruitful bough. Verse 4, and Joseph found grace in his sight, that's Potiphar, and he served him. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. And as soon as he did that, as soon as Potiphar put all of his affairs in Joseph's hand, the Lord blessed Potiphar's house for Joseph's sake. He, he, Potiphar, in verse 6, left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not what he had. How many people are you willing to trust with everything you have so that all you know on a daily basis is what is put in front of you to eat? And you're not worried about it. Whatever you had in the bank, whatever Potiphar had in the bank, he wasn't worried about Joseph taking it. The Lord was blessing this man. That is what it means to be a prosperous man. That's what it means to be someone who the Lord is prospering. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So here's Joseph. He's the overseer of the house of Pharaoh. Then look over at uh, um, chapter... um, 
I'm sorry, I've lost my place here. Look over, um, look at verse 7 here in chapter 39. It came to pass after these things that his master's wife cast her eyes upon Joseph. And she said, lie with me. He is overseer of the captain of, of the house of the, uh, of, of the guard of Pharaoh. But we find in Genesis 49 and verse 22 in Joseph's life, whenever we find him being fruitful, being a fruitful bough, then we find Genesis 49 and verse 23 coming along behind him. When we see Joseph's leaf not withering, when we see his way prospering, when we see Joseph living godly in Christ Jesus, then we're going to see the archers again. We're going to see the archers sorely, sorely grieving and shooting at him and hating him. That's what we be, see in verse 7. And here the archer that is shooting at Joseph is Potiphar's wife. And notice Joseph's answer to her in verse 8. He refused. She says, come lie with me. He refused and said unto his master's wife, Behold, my master wanteth or knoweth not what is with me in the house. He's committed all that he hath to my hand. There is none greater in this house than I. Neither hath he kept back anything from me but thee, because thou art his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? Here's the proof that Joseph has been delighting in the law of the Lord. Here's the proof that he's been meditating in it day and night. Because in the moment of temptation, he was able to take the word of God that was hidden in his heart and surrender to it and obey it and apply it and use it that he might not sin against God. That's what spirituality is. Being spiritual is when we surrender to the Word of God. The Word of God that we've been meditating on and feeding on and reading and studying on our own, privately, and hearing it preached as we gather together in a meeting like this. And being spiritual is when the Word of God controls the actions and the reactions of our life. That's where Joseph is. At the moment of temptation, he's so surrendered to the law of God that he's delighted in and meditated in that he's able to think about it. He's able to witness to the very archer that is shooting at him. He says to Potiphar's wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? That's a testimony to this woman. And so here at the end of verse 9, Joseph stands in victory. He stands in victory. A fruitful bough, like a tree planted by the rivers of water. He's steadfast. He's unmovable. He's abounding in the work of the Lord. But the archer doesn't go away. The archer keeps sorely grieving and shooting at Joseph. Verse 10, And it came to pass as she spake to Joseph day by day, that he hearkened not unto her to lie by her or to be with her. And it came to pass about this time that Joseph went into the house to do his business, and there was none of the men of the house there within. 
And she caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and got him out. Young people, you ought to circle verse 12 in your Bible. And particularly, you ought to circle the word fled. Joseph didn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly. He didn't stand in the way of sinners. He didn't sit in the seat of the scornful. And so when the time came for him to flee, he fled and got him out. Young people, that's another example that Joseph had been delighting in the law of God. It's another example of how he had been meditating on it. Because he fled and got him out. 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 18. The Spirit of God says through the Apostle Paul, flee fornication. And that's what this woman's offering him. Flee fornication. Paul wrote to a young man by the name of Timothy. In 2 Timothy 2 and verse 22. And he said, flee also youthful lusts. And here's Joseph. Nearly 2,000 years before the Spirit of God gave those words to the Apostle Paul, being obedient to those words. How could he have known them? Because the Word of God is forever settled in heaven. And God had written them on his heart. And Joseph delighted in them and meditated on them. And what he meditated on in his mind, listen, became action in his life. Every person here tonight, young, pe- young people, old people, in between, what we meditate on and feed on in our mind will become action in our life. Proverbs 23 and verse 7 says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. What you think in your heart, that's what you are. What you feed on, what you meditate on, it will manifest itself in actions in your life. And so that brings us to a question. What are you delighting in? What am I delighting in? What are we meditating on day and night? What is it that has the the place in our life? Here's Joseph, a fruitful bough, obedient to the word of God, But the archer is still shooting at him. Look at verse 13. And it came to pass when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and was fled forth, that she called unto the men of her house and spake unto them, saying, See, he hath brought in an Hebrew unto us to mock us. He came in unto me to lie with me, and I cried with a loud voice. And so she She said, oh, when I did that, he runs. And he left his garment. And so she takes Joseph's garment to show her husband. And when he gets home, she tells her husband this lie that she has concocted. That Joseph came in to lie with her. And when he hears that, Joseph's master took him, verse 20, and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. If you will, notice the word bound in this verse. The Lord tells us what that word bound means in Psalm 105, beginning in verse 17. He says there, 
that he sent a man before them. We're talking about the history of the nation of Israel in Psalm 105. He sent a man before them, even Joseph, who was sold for a servant. And then verse 18 says this, whose feet they hurt with fetters. He was laid in iron. This is what it meant for Joseph to be bound. The Lord wanted us to know the detail of that. They hurt his feet with fetters. He was laid in iron. Now the archer that is sorely grieving him and shooting at him is not only Potiphar's wife, it's not only the keeper of the prison, but the conditions that he finds himself in, in fetters and laid in iron. Think about those circumstances. Here's a young man that's done nothing wrong, and he's there in prison. But in the face of these circumstances, Joseph is still a fruitful bough. He's still, his root is still running down into the rivers of water. He's still delighting in the law of the Lord. He's still meditating in it. He's still like a tree planted by the rivers of water. And he's still bringing forth fruit. His leaf isn't withering. His way is still prospering. Look at verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph. Think about that. There in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand because the Lord was with him. And notice these words. And that which he did, the Lord made it to prosper. The prison guard saw that. Potiphar saw that. Whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then in chapter 40, Joseph faces one final archer, or archers, I guess we could say, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt. You remember they had offended Pharaoh, and he put them in prison. And he put them in prison where Joseph was. And they're placed in Joseph's charge. And each of these men, you remember, dreamed a dream. And when Joseph, one day he comes in there and he finds that their countenance has changed, their countenance is sad, and he asks them why. And they told him that they had dreamed these dreams and they had no one to interpret them. And immediately Joseph said to them, Do not interpretations belong to God? And with that truth established, Joseph asks them to tell him their their dreams. And they do. The butler tells his first. And the interpretation is that within three days, he's going to be restored to his position. Now look at chapter 40 and verse 14. Joseph says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee. And show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh. And bring me out of this house. For indeed, I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. Now, look at verse 
23. Joseph, what he told, his interpretation of their dreams comes to pass. Just exactly the way he said. The butler's restored. When the chief baker tells Joseph his dream, the interpretation is not that within three days you're going to be restored. The interpretation of his dream was that within three days you're going to be hung. And he was. The baker was hung. The butler was restored. But in verse 23 we read, Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. And he forgot him for two full years. Here's Joseph facing the archer of discouragement, if you will. The archer of discouragement. Falsely accused, wrongfully imprisoned. He's now been in Egypt for 13 years. And what's Joseph's attitude of heart? He's still a fruitful bough. Even a, a, a fruitful bough by a well whose branches run over the wall. He's still delighting in the law of the Lord. He's still meditating in it. He's still bringing forth fruit. His leaf hasn't withered. And whatsoever he, doing, he did, it was still prospering. Because Pharaoh dreams a dream. And it's then that the chief butler remembers Joseph. And he's brought before the king. Look at chapter 41 and verse 14. Then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph. And they brought him hastily out of the dungeon. And he shaved himself and changed his raiment and came in unto Pharaoh. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I've dreamed a dream and there is none that can interpret it. And I have heard say of thee that thou canst understand a dream to interpret it. Now listen to Joseph's answer to Pharaoh in verse 16. And Joseph answered Pharaoh saying, It is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Now let's go back to, to Genesis 49 and verse 23. The archers have sorely grieved him and shot at him and hated him. We've looked at those archers. The archers of hatred and bitterness from his own brothers. The archers of temptation and lust from Potiphar's wife. The archers of lies and false accusations by Potiphar's wife. The archer of a wrongful imprisonment through Potiphar himself. And then the, 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 the archer of torture and physical pain through the keeper of the prison. And then the archer of discouragement through the selfishness of the butler as he forgets Joseph for two full years and left him in the prison in Egypt. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a whale whose branches run over the wall. But his bow abode in strength. His bow abode in strength. And it's interesting that it's only Joseph's bow that is mentioned. It doesn't say that his arrows abode in strength. There's not any mention of any arrows. 
I believe it's like that because Joseph never fired one arrow at his brothers. We spent a good bit of time, probably two or three months back, looking at Joseph and his brothers being reunited. The circumstances of the famine that brought them down to Egypt face to face with their brother. Joseph recognizes them. They don't recognize him. And over time, Joseph eventually reveals himself to them. And you remember what he told them? Did he get his bow out and his arrows, fire at them? He said, no, you meant it for evil. The Lord meant it for good. His bow abode in strength. No mention of any arrows. He didn't fire any arrows at his brothers or Potiphar's wife or Potiphar or the keeper of the prison or the butler. It's like that because the servant of the Lord must not strive. But be gentle unto all men, apt to teach, patient, in meekness, instructing those that oppose themselves. And that's exactly what Joseph did with his brothers. Joseph was like the Lord Jesus. Who we read, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. That's Joseph's whole life in Egypt. His bow abode in strength. God's strength was made perfect in Joseph's weakness. Why does Joseph have a special place in the heart of God? Because he's an Old Testament example of what Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20. I'm crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I but Christ, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. That's what Joseph said to, to Pharaoh. Genesis 41 and verse 16, when, when Pharaoh told him, he said, I understand that you're someone who can interpret dreams. Joseph said, it is not in me. God shall give Pharaoh an answer of peace. Not I, but Christ. Why does Joseph have a special place in the heart of God? Because he was a bough. He was a branch that abided in the vine. In John chapter 15 and verse 5, the Lord Jesus said, I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. Much fruit. That's what... We read about Joseph. He's a fruitful bough. Even a fruitful bough by a well. He that abideth in me. And I in him the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. That's why Joseph was a fruitful bough. He understood that. He understood that without the Lord he could do nothing. That's why his bow abode in strength. And here's the thing that we ought to think about. If we're saved tonight, God is not a respecter of persons. He has a special place in his heart for every believer. He wants every believer to be a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a whale whose branches run over 
the wall. And if we're not in that place today, the Lord's not the problem. We're the problem. It's because we would rather love the world and all that is in the world. We'd rather walk in the counsel of the ungodly and stand in the way of sinners and sit in the seat of the scornful than to abide in him and have his words abide in us. We would rather be amused. Amused. The absence of thinking than to muse, than to think, than to delight ourselves in the law of the Lord and in that law meditate day and night. We're as close to the Lord as we want to be. How close do we want to be? That's the question tonight. Do we want to be close enough to be a fruitful bough? Do we want to be close enough to him to be a fruitful bough by a whale whose branches run over the wall? Do we want to be close enough to the Lord so that we become the target of the archers? The target of their bitterness and their hatred? Or do we just want to coast along? Coast along. No waves. No problems. That's not the way the Lord wants us to live. He wants us to be close enough to him so that his strength is made perfect in our weakness so that we come to learn every moment of every day that without him, we can do nothing. May the Lord help us to think about these things tonight and May we allow him to change us. Change us. Brother Dan said in a message some years ago, the way that he began or begins his prayer time many, many days is, Lord, what do you want to change about me? What do you want to change in me today? It's a good question to ask the Lord. If we mean it, he'll show us. Because he wants us to conform, he wants to conform us to the image of his son. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for these moments together. And we pray that you would take your word and, and, and use it in our hearts for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.